back to the Mostly Normal Gamers Podcast, episode 55. I am one of your hosts, John Swanson. Joining me today is our new co-host, Chris Stern. Chris, you came back, man. I did. I made it. Um, I'm very happy to be back. Thanks for having me again. Um, and I'm really excited to kind of join the regular cast of folks on this podcast. It's been a really great experience for me so far. Yeah, we're super glad you're here, man. Um, AJ will not be joining us today. He didn't do his homework, I guess, and his mom won't let him podcast until he finishes. So, I think I mean, she locked I mean, him in his room. Yeah, which I guess probably isn't that bad right now because we're all locked in a place somewhere. But anyway, he'll hopefully be back next week, but more to come, I guess. Today we'll be discussing mainly Microsoft and Ubisoft prepping for their big next-gen plans. We have, you know, Microsoft coming up with a press conference in the next couple weeks, and Ubisoft's is actually this weekend. And then battling leaks and building hype. They're both dealing with those two aspects that seem to be littered with gaming pretty regularly, so we're kind of used to it. If you want to be part of the conversation uh, or have a pressing question that you want us to answer, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at MN Gamers Podcasts, or you can hit us up via the email. If you're like me and your work doesn't like Twitter, you can still email us. It's at podcasts at mostlynormalgamers.com and go to our website, which is, as I think I alluded to last week, now a little bit out of date, but mostlynormalgamers.com go there and check us out people keep signing up man for which is so so fucking cool i don't know i get really stoked i slack these guys every time i get an email notification somebody else fucking signed up for our mailing list which we haven't decided what we're gonna do for it but i still get excited so know that when you click that button you give me a joy one Um, one unit of joy yeah, exactly. At least one unit of joy. Well, now that we're done with that, let's go on to what we're playing. It, I'm going to go first because it's super boring. I'm still playing The Last of Us Part 2, which at this point I would kind of want to refer to as Too Much of Us Part 2, <laughs> since I'm about 30 plus hours into it, I think. And I, I mean that in jest, like I'm not. It's a really well-designed game. You haven't played the first one, right? I probably put, like, I don't want to overestimate, but maybe, like, three or four hours into the first one a number of years ago when I got my PS4. It was, like, I had bought the PS4 bundle that came with the uh, Last of Us Remastered, and um, I enjoyed it. If you can say that you enjoy The Last of Us, um, I'm not a huge horror game person, but I have played like a tiny, tiny bit of the first one. Uh, I fully intend to revisit it pretty soon, um, knowing that I have been like mildly spoiled on the ending of it because of some of the conversation around Last of Us 2. So I want to get it get it in the books before much more gets spoiled. Yeah, I was just commenting there that some of the there's a lot of more diversity as far as weapons and such are con- are concerned which is kind of nice to have that 
diversity in your gameplay. It lets you kind of test out different ways to approach enemies and whatnot. Yeah, I know. Isn't there, um, I think from just some of like the preview images that I've seen from Last of Us 2, um, there's a bow and arrow. Is that a new thing to the game? Yeah, for sure. I don't recall that being at all part of the first one. And it's it's awesome. I don't know, because it's quiet, obviously. Yeah, for like those stealth runs, I'm assuming kind of yeah. go the quiet. Stealth in the game is fantastic, man. It's it's like a Metal Gear Solid game in that regard. Yeah, I think you were mentioning that too. Is yeah. Do you have like a preferred loadout that you're going with right now out of anything? Do any of the new weapons make it into that or do you just kind of rotate through them? Because I know a lot of the game is like, what can you scavenge and like make ammo for in the moment? So I don't know if you kind of get to pick favorites or not. Yeah, you do. I think it depends on your play style a little bit because I like to sneak up on people and then just take them out quietly, which usually ends up in me getting in a gunfight. And in that case, uh, you know, you have a shotgun for a close range and you have a rifle for further away and a hunting pistol as well. So um, all of them are useful. I don't find myself leaning towards one over another the base handgun is pretty weak and useless i've found but other than that they're all pretty close i would say cool i really like it when games are like it's more of a like which one's best for this situation kind of weapon choice as opposed to like clearly this one's superior so i'm just going to start using the you know rail gun all the time because if you're giving me a rail gun why would i use anything else um, exactly. So it sounds like that's a better approach, or it's more aligned with my favorite approach to those. Although, don't get me wrong, when there's like a sick railgun in a first-person shooter, I will use it if I can find it. But um, yeah, I, and this I is definitely more like which approach do you prefer? Like, if you like stealth and then you just get busted trying to be stealthy, it's it definitely um, accommodates that playstyle for sure, and different playstyles, I would say. Um, and the game design's great. It's just the story's dark, man. Yeah, you were saying you're about 30 hours into it. That's got to be getting towards the end, right? I, I, yeah, I imagine. I think so. I've heard a couple of people, and I heard this a lot in Final Fantasy VII remake. Like a lot of people felt like they were done a few times, and. I, I'm about there again to where I feel like I'm done again. The Lord of the Rings Return of the King problem. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so we'll see how much more I have left. I, I'm reaching what I would feel would be the apex, but I'm not sure if that's the case or not. Yeah, I'm curious to hear once you finish it kind of how you feel like it stacks up against the first one. Yeah. Uh, and I'm if the ending really, changes your opinion about that. Yeah, I'm anxious to see where everything goes afterwards. So we'll see. And then, you know, I got to keep that Vita going, getting those trophies. So I've been playing God of War, the original God of War, like remastered or whatever on the Vita, which is still a fun game, man. 15 years later, it's pretty, you know, antiquated but it's still fun. Yeah, I remember, I think back in, gosh, when did that first one come out? Like 2003, 2002? 
2005. Okay. I wasn't sure. And I just remember like the combat in that game at the time, you know, in EGM, they're promoting it as like, Oh, we have someone from the street fighter team um, or maybe a competitive street fighter player. I have a bad memory on this, but you know, just like hyping up the the combat designer in it being from the fighting game world. And I just yeah. remember like at the time I was all about combo heavy action games. So how does it play on Vita? Is it like a pretty smooth experience? Yeah, for the most part. The only thing that kind of stinks is that back screen that the Vita has. You have to like press that to do things. Oh which no. I've never found to be a good input for anything. I and completely I, forgot about that. I've never had a Vita yeah. and I always kind of like thought it would be a cool thing to get, but it was never in the budget. And then I've just forgotten about the back touch panel. Yeah, it, it just sucks because they use it not more than they need to, but the fact that you can hook it up to a, like stream your PlayStation 3 or 4 to it makes it a very, like that's what they use for L2 and R2 for those games. Right. And it's just not a reliable input for those buttons. So it makes that function basically useless, which if they hadn't done that, if they had just somehow found a way to put an L2 and an R2 button on there, how much better that would have made games, I can't even imagine. What I'm hearing is you're calling for a Vita 2.0 Yeah. when the PlayStation 5 is a couple years in. That finally adds the triggers that it deserves. Yeah, or just let Nintendo put PlayStation Now on the Switch. That would be cool, too. I really loved the rumors of the possibility of putting i believe it's like xbox game pass is like constantly being batted around and rumored that it might be coming to the switch yeah um and if xcloud does what i think it does if you're able to use xcloud on the switch i i just like won't be able to wrap my head around how awesome that is and it would be so cool to get playstation now on board too but i've no i know they've been playing a little bit more hard to get in terms of like working with other companies since they're so far in first place this generation yeah it would i mean it would be amazing if the switch was more like a mobile phone in that way where you could download just the software program for ps now or xcloud and run games that way but i'm with you i don't think there's any way that's gonna happen but yeah nice to think about Indeed. Well, speaking uh, of the Switch, I've been finally reunited with my Switch um, for the last couple of days, um, and I picked up the Pokemon Isle of Armor DLC and finally had a chance to explore some of that. Um, I'm not familiar if you've played much Pokemon in your day, John. I've never played one. Interesting. Okay, so yeah. I put, I am a big Pokemon fan from like my childhood and like kind of stuck with the series through high school and into college um and pokemon shield i put 220 some hours in i think it was 224 i checked the clock when i was starting the save back up um i got looped back into breeding competitive pokemon because they made it easier than ever in, in the latest generation um and so i was really happy because they expanded the ones that are available in the game and i was finally able to bring some of my like beloved beloved 
pocket monsters from literally like 2013 that I've had in Pokemon Home and Pokemon Bank over the years. I'm reunited with my Scizor, which is like a cool red metal bug, uh, and a couple of other Pokemon that I put a lot of time. It's not really hard effort, but it's effort in the form of time into making sure I get all the stats set up correctly for them. Um, but the most fun part of it has been taking some of those Pokemon that I'm reunited with and exploring this brand new island that's in the DLC. And it's really cool. They introduced in the in the Pokemon Shield and Sword um, the idea of a wild area, which is where they have kind of the 3D free-roaming camera, and it's kind of the open world section of the game. Anyhow, the Isle of Armor is a brand new wild area that definitely learns a lot of lessons of like, keeping more variety in the geography and geology of the areas. Um, there's really cool rivers and like a wetlands area, um, as well as just a lot of caves, which I think is interesting. It feels more like exploring any other area in a past Pokemon game realized in that fully 3D, fully explorable open world mode of things which is a really cool promising improvement and i hope a direction that they go with the game in the future i had heard a big part of the kind of feedback for that game was that they didn't really change enough even though it was the first pokemon on um consoles right pokemon has this really interesting history of barely changing at all so that anytime that a small change happens um, such as I think it's uh, in the fourth generation of games they made it so that each element could have both physical and special type attacks and in the past certain elements were physical and certain elements were special and just that change changes so much of the battle strategy for a person who like I'm playing on simulators, like creating specific team builds and reading the website smogon.com. And I think that's a smaller community of people. But for me, those simple changes make a big impact because of the way it impacts battle and strategy and move selection um, in a way that I think if that change on the surface wouldn't seem significant to your average person who's just picking it up to play a fun RPG with like cute monsters in it. Um, I do think that narratively it treads really closely to like the rote, you go to eight gyms, you battle all of the gym leaders and collect the badges. You go to the elite four type thing. Um, in this game, I think it's more of a tournament style bracket, uh, because it's all sports influenced. I do think it is the most realized narrative in terms of creating characters, um, having the characters be like 3D models that can emote really clearly has a big impact on that. I felt like Sun and Moon, which was the last generation of Pokemon, also did a good job. And I think these last two generations felt more like the story of the games was kind of like watching the Pokemon anime. Um but it's not it it really hasn't strayed from that formula and i know you know everyone who's into pokemon uh 
always says, you know, where's our MMO? Why can't this just be a persistent world that's updated and adds new things to do? And I can like battle and trade and train against my friends in this like persistent open world. This game dips its toe into that. So the wild areas are kind of these interconnected online spaces where if you set your system to be online, there will be, um, as an example, like because the DLC is new, there were different trainers that are avatars of other players all over this thing. Um, but the really disappointing thing is your interactions with them is limited to talking to them and you get just a random line of dialogue and they give you an item and then they just stand there. Um, so it's one tiny small step forward into that persistent online realm um, and a kind of step forward in terms of like making the game feel like the cartoon. Yeah, maybe that's better than them asking them to remaster them all the time. I feel like incremental changes are maybe why they're able to do like different or at least from me looking from the outside in yeah. why they don't like constantly remaster those games because it seems like we're on the verge of getting a ton of games remastered for different reasons but i wonder if us getting tired of the same dynamics throughout a game or them trying to implement too much change first is one of the reasons we do that definitely and pokemon is no stranger to making remakes of their own games um i know there's a game boy advance remake and a switch remake of pokemon red um which is i think pokemon let's go pikachu and eevee on the switch are the most recent remakes of that and so they don't shy away from those remakes and oh, it, gotcha. it does feel weird because as you point out like most of the changes generation to generation are these small iterative things so there's not that much benefit i mean if you wait on a long enough time horizon maybe there is but you know a remake it's like nostalgia purposes to have the pokemon that you grew up with as a kid and and not a lot of other benefit from that i don't think speaking of remakes i finally had the opportunity to pick up final fantasy 7 remake gamestop was go doing a buy one get one sale of buy a new game get a used game half off and so I picked up Sekiro Shadows Die Twice and a copy of Final Fantasy VII Remake. I don't recall, have you or AJ been playing that at all? Yeah, we both finished it. So I am only an hour and a half in, and I, I have a hunch that I'm just barely out of the section that would be in like the demo that they put out. Um, so I yeah. took down the red scorpion mech and uh, completed the bombing of the first Mako reactor. I was, yeah. as a kid, a Mako person, so it's going to be a really hard adjustment now that I know it's pronounced Mako. <laughs> yeah, um, I heard that was a really hard for a lot of people. Big controversy for me. Um, yeah. But I find it really spectacular. I'm in the section of the game where you're kind of going through, um, I believe it's called Sector 8, where all of this damage has been wrought from the explosion from this Mako reactor being blown up uh, and kind of the subterfuge from Shinra Corporation trying to make the explosion bigger to make this, you know, environmental terrorist group that you're being a mercenary for look to be to blame for this massive explosion. 
Um, so it's got a lot of intrigue that I don't necessarily think is in the text of the original. Um, granted, it has been years since I played the first one. Um, knowing that I'm very early on into the game, um, what what are kind of your experiences with it having finished it, John? It's great, man. I I never played the original. Uh, I watched my buddy play it over at his house. I've never been big on turn-based RPGs, so it was never in my wheelhouse anyway, but I really liked Final Fantasy 15, and this seems to be, or it's, the battle system's very similar. I liked the, um, what's the name of the gems that you put into the weapons? Oh, Materia. My favorite yeah. part of Final Fantasy 7 from when I was a kid was definitely leveling up Materia, so yeah. can't forget so, that. And I love how they're linked here, or you can... In certain weapons or certain gear, there you can link uh, materia with that weapon and amplify it and use it in different ways, which I thought was really cool. Um, the story awesome. is really cool. I, I can see why people fell in love with the original for sure. The characters are just kind of, they're just so like effusive and big, you know, in like a from a like what am i trying to say here like their it's personality almost, standpoint you know what I mean? yeah it's almost like operatic yeah in a weird way like they're just very over the top and i remember i think last week you were talking about how much just even like jesse is like popping off the screen in a way that she definitely doesn't in the original um right. but just that first mission with jesse like kind of flirting with cloud and like definitely killing the banter was incredible it was really fun to get to re-experience this thing from my very early childhood in the most intense high definition with a bombastic orchestral score and visuals that just when i was a kid i had a neighbor friend who i also watched play a lot of final fantasy 7 when this game came out i was eight so i had an older neighbor who was 10 or 11 at the time and was kind of coaching me through the game and I would wait for him to get a certain length into the game and then try and get there myself a lot and then I circled back to it I never finished it as a young person I went back and and finished it in high school but I just remember seeing the cutscenes in this 1997 video game and saying wow yeah what if one day video games looked like this yeah and to think that the game because I haven't been playing, you know, most of my game time has been on Switch recently. So I, the last like really, really big budget games I was playing would have been Spider-Man and God of War two years ago at this point. So it's been a while since I played a big triple A, big budget, gorgeous, gorgeous game like this. And it takes my breath away every time. If I could time travel and show eight year old, nine year old Chris <laughs> what this game looks like. Yeah. I would have broken my brain. Yeah, absolutely, man. I it got me more into Final Fantasy and I Final Fantasy 15 was my first one because it was action based rather than turn-based combat. So I was like, "All right, sign me up." And I I really enjoyed it. It wasn't the best game I've ever played, but I didn't regret playing it at all. And then uh I've heard the story of the remake Granted, again, I've never played the first one, so I had no idea what happens. But 
apparently the ending of the remake is vastly different and brings on like some characters that you don't really know much about if you only played the first Final Fantasy back in 1997. You had to go into the depths of like Crisis Core, which is on the PSP. If you I went to... into the depths of Crisis Core, John. Did you? I, I oh, didn't nice. finish it, but I got very far into that game, John. And let Dude. me tell you, if you're telling me that there's going to be some Crisis Core crossover <laughs> happening at some point, I'm very intrigued. Well, um, maybe not during this current one, but certainly in the next one, you might get your Crisis Core crossover. Try that, saying that 10 times fast, by the way. It's very, very challenging. That is tantalizing. I really loved Crisis Core, actually, and I'm struggling with this game because I'm finding even just in the start of the game, as soon as you're juggling between the two first characters, Cloud and Barrett, the combat system is complicated feeling. Does yeah. it get easier to wrap your head and your hands around how to play this game? Because yeah. that first boss fight was brutal for me. Yeah, I think, I, I don't know, man. I don't always like playing demos because I feel like it maybe ruins the originality of the game. Like kind of, I don't know. You probably know what I'm talking about. You've played a demo of a game and then played the actual game and been like, oh, this is kind of not the same. But one thing I like, about playing the demo and then playing the beginning of the game once I once it came out was the fact that you could do get used to that combat system over the course of time and then when you get back to town and you're doing all the side missions and stuff you can kind of get more used to how everything fits together how you control each one how you switch from one to the other keep an eye on when they get their meters pumped up and whatnot like that things like that yeah you were saying you played final fantasy 15 i tried to dabble into the switch version of the mobile game final fantasy pocket 15 or whatever oh. that one was called and i found the character art to be really cute and the combat to be okay um yeah. but i'm wondering did you find that final fantasy 15's combat translates really well to picking up final fantasy 7 remakes i want to say yes but that was 2016 or early 2017 that i played it yeah so a long time ago definitely yeah but i want to say it was somewhat similar certainly the way you level up your characters and the like leveling trees are different um, but I want to say the combat was very similar. This is actually more streamlined because you couldn't switch between characters just using the D-pad, I don't think, in Final Fantasy 15. I could be misremembering, but I'm pretty sure that's right. Oh, rad. Yeah, I'm um, really, really excited to get my head wrapped around it, and I'm yeah. actually looking forward to jumping in after this podcast is over. So did you play Crisis Core on PSP, or what did you play it on? I, in... 2014 was feeling super nostalgic for the PSP and was thinking about how there were a bunch of games on it that I didn't get to the first time around, including Crisis Core and Final Fantasy Tactics War of the Lions. And I just really wanted to play Luminace or Luminace in portable form again. Um, Luminace is one of my favorite games of all time. Uh, I used to play it in high school underneath the desk while I was in class. Yeah. Um, and so I picked up a PSP from a used game store at pre-played 
uh, along with a bunch of games that I had missed and Luminous just to have that nostalgia trip um, and ended up really focusing on Crisis Core and not quite getting to the end of it. I also picked up Persona 3 Portable, um, which I got part of the way in and then lent uh, that game and my PSP to a coworker from the coffee shop I used to work at and have not gotten it back in three years. Uh, son of a bitch. Yep. Um, um, but, but I'd that be is lying I if it. I didn't tell you when I like saw the crisis core or this person I was not familiar with or heard, heard the name of before was at the end of final fantasy seven remake. I was like, mm, how much can I get a PSP and crisis core for right now? And it's like not as easy as you, you would think it should be, I guess. Well, definitely. If I can manage to get my old coworker to return that to me gently, I will possibly be able to mail it to you and you could (laughs) check it out. Well, the lame thing is they have a lot of Vita game or I'm sorry, PSP games on Vita. Like you can just buy it even though, you know what I mean? Like you can buy PS1 classic games on the PS4 or whatever. Yeah. And Crisis Core is not one of those. No, that's so whack. Irritated me. I know because I bought uh, Peace Walker, Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker, you know? Yeah. And that was a PSP game. And so I was hoping I could get Crisis Core, but no such luck. Anyhow, I'm really excited to jump back into it soon. Yeah. So Dot Dungeons, I just wanted to do a really quick shout out, um, is a tiny, tiny game by one developer named I believe I haven't tried to pronounce his name before, but uh, shout out to Chris Kilmowinski, Kilmowinski, uh, Chris, if you, Klamowski, thank you. Uh, shout out to Chris Klamowski uh, for making this game Dot Dungeons. It's uh, a really simple uh, and yet mind-bendingly challenging for me because I'm bad at puzzle games, puzzle game uh, where you take a pencil and draw lines between dots in order to build up charge and then you draw the charge onto the numbers one or two uh, once you've built up that level of charge to clear them. And you have to clear all of the numbers off of this dot grid in order to advance into the next level. I'm finding it very challenging. I feel like I'm kind of fumbling my way through it. But it's a free browser game available at Chris Klamowski's Klum- Klum- oh, Chris website, uh, which is just C-H-R-I-S. K-L-I-M-O-W-S-K-I dot com. He has a number of free uh, free games available at his website that he's developed. I think most of them are in browser. He also has this great uh, Chrome and Firefox extension that puts Tommy from Nook, uh, Tommy Nook from Animal Crossing in your web browser so that every so often when you're reading a paragraph, it ends with the last word of it repeated in smaller font. Uh, which I found to be completely delightful and immediately endeared me to this game developer. And I wanted to check out his other stuff. How did Uh, you find him? Someone in my Twitter feed retweeted a project he was working on that looked really awesome. And I clicked through to his Twitter account, which he only posts on like once or twice a year. It seems like there's very few posts and each of them relates to these different projects he's been working on all of which you can seemingly find at his website. So just a small shout out to it. It seems like a really cool, interesting one person developer. And uh, I'm interested to see kind of how this new game that he, the 
started on the Twitter that led me down this rabbit hole to to become yeah. a fan of his very quickly. Uh, yeah, that's and cool, how that man. turns out. Yeah. Cool. Well, how about we move on to some movies? Yeah, speaking of Twitter rabbit holes. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, as we kind of mentioned in the intro, it seems like Microsoft and Ubisoft. That's weird to say. Soft and soft. Uh, have some big upcoming upcoming weeks. Uh, like I said, uh, Ubis. What are they calling it, Chris? Do you remember? Ubisoft Forward. Ubisoft Forward. Yes, again. they're and they're putting the games forward and all of the bad press behind them. Yeah. Should we cover that one first since I did that? Yeah, uh, that I think that's a great place to start. Sure. Daniel O'Connor over at the Ubisoft blog. That's kind of it's entitled Everything You Need to Know, which can't be true because it's from the publisher slash developer themselves. And they wouldn't tell you everything right from the get go. But well, the, the ironic thing is that we already know most of the things we need to know because of how many leaks they've been fighting against at Ubisoft in the last yeah, couple of weeks. Um, for sure. And I heard uh, some people do have, I don't know if they're demos or what they are, of Assassin's Creed Valhalla and Watch Dogs Legion right now. So that's probably where those leaks are coming from, would be my guess. Yeah, well, and then I know their new Battle Royale Hyperscape leaked immediately before it was going to be announced, and they had to kind of rush the announcement. Um, But I found out that game is already in people's hands, and they pushed their first update to it already. They put a balance patch out within a week of the game coming out, and I didn't even know the game was out already. Yeah, I think it's out in some sort of beta form. Um, As you mentioned, this is we pulled this from Matt Perslow over at IGN. He had mentioned how it kind of got leaked and is a new thing coming out. It's not a hero shooter, I guess, like Overwatch or Apex, um, but it's more akin to like Call of Duty, things we're used to like that. I don't know. Do you have it, anything, anything, anything to say about those? Yeah, I just, I don't get into one thing about apex legends the only opinion that i have really is that i miss calling it ape legs i thought that was a sick fucking name (laughs) for a game like dude you playing ape legs tonight like rather than saying apex maybe if they'd stuck with ape legs or if that was in the zeitgeist is how people refer to it that then i'd be in then you'd be more on board but I Apex was actually the battle royale that got me into battle royales because of how much I love Respawn's work and especially Titanfall 1's multiplayer really locked me in. Um, Looking at Hyperscape, I was intrigued by the map being completely in an urban setting. I think that's really cool. Those tend to be the multiplayer maps that I'm most attracted to when I'm playing other shooters. And I loved that there's all of these jump pads and things all around it kind of there's a old pc game that i can't think of right now so i this is not even worth bringing up um that it, it is, reminds me i want to play guess the game oh my gosh one of my favorite things if i only knew the name of it no, um just describe it and i'm gonna guess okay this so is the game <laughs> on this iteration of guess the game it is 
I believe from the early 2000s. And the thing that high level competitive players do are they launch off of these ramps and then kind of do sledding to build up momentum and they launch off of a jump and then can build up momentum by sliding down a ramp and then launch off of a jump and can build momentum by sliding down a ramp. I think it starts with the letter R and it's a first person shooter that was on PC. (laughs) No, I got nothing. That's so interesting though. They go down ramps to build momentum. It's more like slopes in the maps. I should be more specific. Yeah. Sounds like some ski jumper thing. Yeah, and I'm really regretting that I can't pull this name out of thin air. This happens to me sometimes, and it's only problematic when my voice is being recorded for the world to listen to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, Welcome. But yeah, the I watched a little bit of the the gameplay footage from that IGN article that Matt put together, and it looks cool, but I don't know that I need another Battle Royale in the world. I don't even play one right now, so nothing yeah. is kind of going to draw me into a new one at this point. Yeah, I think we've reached our saturation point of battle royales yet they seem to keep popping up everywhere but there's, i think there's money to be made my guess it is amazing to see how quickly trends can form in the game development world especially around pc gaming yeah. it makes me think of uh, mobas blowing up around when dota became popular at first and things like that yeah exactly do you there's a game called Elysium, I think is what it's called, and it's only on PC, and that's a battle royale. When I bought my PC, I was like, I want to play this fucking battle royale, and I've never played it. It's free to play on Steam, but it's like in snow, and I forget how you kind of traverse the um, areas, but that just is more proof to our point that there are just so many of those these games out there and i'm not sure we really need another one but maybe it'll fill a niche that isn't hasn't been filled already i think there's always like a careful balance of giving developers room to kind of get that really innovative take on a existing genre right i think apex is a prime example of someone doing that right by introducing the three team squads of like hero character style characters where each one has a unique role to play on a team as well as all of the different cool accessibility options that they put in that game and the ping system i think respawn did a great job of saying what are things that could be better in this genre and like nailing those things down but at a certain point you don't have enough players to go around right yeah um the other rumor that, that we've heard from Ubisoft or in regards to a Ubisoft game was that Giancarlo Esposito is going to be the next villain. Uh, we pulled this from Vicky Blake over at Games, Ra- Games Radar. Uh, I'm not familiar with Giancarlo Esposito. I didn't watch all of Breaking Bad. I only watched the first season or two. Oh, you missed him then. He is yeah. delightful in that. Did you end up watching The Mandalorian at all? Yeah. Oh, he's the bad guy. Yeah, he's in, yeah. I think, like the last two episodes. I don't remember the character's name, but um, he's with the really cool looking stormtroopers that come at the end to yeah. try and flush them out when they're hiding in that bar or something. Yeah, yeah. So when I heard a 
Latin American sounding name like Giancarlo Esposito and someone that I was listening to said Mandalorian, my first inclination was the guy who played the Mandalorian in no sadly no um, yeah so that's where I was so confused but yeah so he plays um Gus Frayne on Breaking Bad and it breaks my heart that you have pun intended that you have not seen far enough into Breaking Bad to meet Gustav Frayne because he is simultaneously amazing and incredibly menacing and I think this actor is going to be able to bring that menace to this character in a way that could be really cool if he is in fact the next Far Cry villain. I know yeah. that's usually kind of how they like spearhead the announcement of these Far Cry games at this point is they kind of center them on who's the big bad villain that you're going to take down. Yeah. After did you play Far Cry 3? I didn't. I have sadly kind of kept my distance from Far Cry altogether just due to lack of bandwidth for those games when they tend to come out. Are you a big fan uh, of the series? I love them. Ever since uh, Voss Montenegro was the villain in Far Cry 3, and he was phenomenal, man. I would. There's a remaster of that, I think, out now on PS4, um, and I would recommend for those of you out there who haven't played Far Cry or aren't big on Far Cry, Far Cry 3 is where it's at if you want to get the experience all in one game because i'll have to look really into been, it they've all been pretty derivative since then and the the villains have kind of gotten less and less interesting um so i'm excited to see what he comes out with man or how they approach this one i think yeah. people are kind of tired of the same old recipe that have made far cry games up to this point i love it i think it's just this fun um everything's bombastic like you can just fucking f drive and fly and blow up everything and i love that uh, but the story's kind of been lacking or it's tapered off the last couple games so i'm excited yeah. to see what they got do you think they're due for an Assassin's Creed Odyssey or Origins style kind of reimagining of the franchise at this point? Or do you think, think they just need to nail the story this time? That's hard for me to say, man, because I, I do like the recipe, but it is kind of the same thing over and over again. So, you know, I, I'm always surprised with how game developers blow your mind like if somebody had told me like oh we're gonna change assassin's creed into kind of an action rpg like the witcher 3 i'd be like eh i don't know i won't work and then i put 120 plus hours into assassin's creed odyssey because they did it so well so i do think it's the time to kind of reinvent how they make far cry how they do that i'm not the person to ask yeah, definitely. Uh, the it It's not quite in the if it's not broke, don't fix it category, but you're not upset with it yet. Yeah, exactly. Um, For sure. Is there anything else you want to see from Ubisoft that you don't anticipate seeing? Or that you don't know we're going to see or hasn't already been announced? So correct me if I'm wrong, but do you recall, like, isn't Ubisoft the company that 
every E3 has a bunch of their press conference leak ahead of time, or am I just making that up? No, I'm pretty sure that's accurate. Yeah, so never in those leaks is anything directly Splinter Cell related, and that was really like the one big Ubisoft franchise that drew me in, especially I think the ones that came out on the 360 era of games. So I would love to see Sam Fisher come back. Um, I think it's long past overdue. But the other thing I would want to see from them is kind of an update on where Beyond Good and Evil 2 is at. I never even finished Beyond Good and Evil 1. I have it as the remaster for the Xbox 360 or maybe the Xbox One. Uh, I think it's Xbox 360 game that's backwards compatible with my Xbox One. And I intended to play it because it was so highly regarded when it came out in 2004, I think. But I I just want to see what happens with that weird, weird idea of how to put a game together with community input from that press record um, project. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. I yeah, think- Joseph Gordon-Levitt's community-sourced yeah. art company. Yeah, that got so much pushback after it was announced because it was basically kind of looked at like they were allowing, quote unquote, people to provide them with content for free. You know what I mean? Uh, Those people weren't necessarily going to see any revenue from their art or their music. Um, So I think that was kind of not well received. And I'm not sure if that delayed the development at all but that game's been the second one's been in development on and off for ever because i i can't remember what e3 it is but there's a video that you can find on youtube of like a broken down car and the pig from the first game and jade from the first game like on the side of the road and people freaked out then because they're like oh my god well, it had been such a long wait at that point, and I think yeah. it's been a long wait since then. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like 16 years, like you said. And I played the game on GameCube, which it was a good game, but I didn't... There's nothing about that game that stands out to me as like, yes, this is a world that I want to see expanded upon to the nth degree and know everything about, but you know, that's just like my opinion, but yeah, it, it would be cool. And I love what seeing what they had drawn up last year or two years ago, but now it's been two years since we heard anything. So for I mean, sure, I don't know. Is there anything I, you're looking for from them? <laughs> I, I, not really. I, I do want to be surprised by something. I know a lot of people enjoyed their, well, you're a tactics guy. Did you ever play Mario plus rabbits? I played the first world of it. I'm not a huge tactics guy. I I really loved Final Fantasy Tactics Advance um, when I was a teenager on the Game Boy Advance. But I don't get too, too deep into other tactics games. I played a lot of XCOM Enemy Unknown, but am very bad at those games. So I end up hitting a wall pretty quickly in them. I did play a tiny bit of Rabbids. And I think it would be cool to see a rabid sequel or another Nintendo crossover just because I'm thirsty to see some Nintendo news. Yeah. And I, so I think it would be cool if they had something like that. 
or uh, a different Rayman game than what we've had recently. I kind of like Rayman and I love platformers, so something like that would be cool. Well, and the last couple Rayman games have been all-time amazingly good. Yeah, so nothing wrong with following suit on that. Uh, yeah. Along the Splinter Cell thing, man, I'd never played a Splinter Cell game for whatever reason. I'm not sure. I had a 360, so I don't know. I didn't play one then. I love Metal Gear, and they definitely kind of fall in the self stealth category, obviously. So um, I wouldn't mind seeing that rejuvenated either. Yeah, it could be really interesting to see how it compares to the direction Metal Gear went with Metal Gear 5. I'd be really interested to see kind of if that informs it in any way. Yeah. But we're all just fantasizing about things that probably will never come out, knowing Ubisoft at this point. Let's switch gears a little bit, but not really, and keep talking (laughs) about things that will probably never come out, but we want to see Microsoft's xbox series x first party reveals are coming july 23rd which is like two weeks from tomorrow thursday on the nose two weeks from thursday at 9 a.m pacific time according to this tweet from xbox there it is again these times meant for people with no jobs i got fucking things to do you know they don't need your money John, they don't need your attention. <laughs> well, they're getting it anyway. Uh, so what do you think, man? I Are we going to hear price? Are they still going to like play chicken with PlayStation regarding price? What games do you want to see? I don't know. I think it is aptly called the most drawn out game of chicken of all time. Yeah. I, I'm not sure what we're going to see from this Xbox presser. I hope they come through and knock it out of the park. I've been a little bit disappointed as someone who views themselves as a primary Xbox One player with the first-party lineup out of Microsoft this generation. Um, I'm really hopeful that I'm blown away by Halo Infinite as a you know, longtime Halo fan from back in the day. Um, they seem to be able to just keep being able to pull me back into that series no matter what I do. Um, yeah. But I'm I'm more interested to see what I don't expect, knowing that they've kind of been fostering this group of first parties and buying up some studios to have a more fleshed out first party group. I want to see what they come up with and what I'm not expecting. I had heard a rumor that a new perfect dark might be in the works and it gave me flashbacks to the launch of the Xbox 360 when perfect dark zero came out and I had to buy in order to get an Xbox 360, a massive bundle of a bunch of games that I didn't want. And I ended up playing a little bit of that game online with friends just to experience it. And, I and it was really, pretty terrible, right? really didn't enjoy it. And I had yeah. no love or nostalgia for the first one because it was rated M and I wasn't allowed to play M rated games at the time. So yeah. I just bought it off of the hype of people saying, oh, Perfect Dark is the best first person shooter. You got to yeah. like the new one is going to be so great. And I just remember being so deflated by it. But yeah. maybe something really cool could come out of that. I know that's been rumored a little bit. Um, yep. I don't really know. I want to... I want some new IPs that come out and so that it's not just 
Halo and Forza. I feel yeah. like Xbox this generation to me has just been a bunch of Forza games, a bunch of Gears of War games, and one Halo game. Yeah. And after a certain point, a little bit more variety in the prestige, really well-reviewed, really well-executed category of games you're putting out would be loved. And that's coming as a person who loves... I I play my online games on the Xbox One. I love their controller. I love work that their studios have done in the past, and I trust them to do a good job, let alone the fact that Phil Harrison is over there like kicking yeah. butt with leadership of services and all those things so i hope they come out and impress me and surprise me that's what i want most of all do you have anything yeah. on a wish list for them john well i'm 100 percent with you man and some of these rumors that we're pulling were from over at joe scrabbles at ign um but regarding your perfect dark that was supposedly reported as possibly what their new what's called the quadruple a studio is working on the initiative um which was i believe created by microsoft so i'm 100 percent with you man if you create this quadruple a studio you're saying is you're throwing more money at it than any other triple a studio and you're like we're gonna give you perfect dark like what a fucking wah wah like lame announcement that would be to me because don't you want a quadruple a studio to work on something new that nobody's seen before i don't i mean granted i'm with you i don't have any fondness for perfect dark but i don't know i don't want to see it come up with something new same thing i never played a fable game so i'd love to see fable 4 um but I feel like if you played the first three and this is just more of the same, Halo, I'm with you. I played three on the 360. Used to play that online with my buddies at back in pharmacy school, and it was a fucking fantastic time. But four was meh. Five, same. Like, it's just same shit, different day, man. Yeah. So. I do want to correct myself. I said Phil Harrison, who hasn't worked at Xbox in years. It's Phil Spencer. I don't know what is wrong with me. I didn't Uh, even catch that. He's at Google. He's ruining Google. (laughs) Have you you followed his career, man? People pay him a fucking bucket load of money to show up and ruin their launch of their new game system. He went to PlayStation, came up with like supported that whole cell processor bullshit ruined their launch like that generation they spent the entire thing coming back trying to figure out how to catch up to the xbox 360 then after they launched the ps3 phil harrison goes over to xbox tells them hey let's put a connect in all these things people will love it let's make it always online fucks up the launch of the xbox one then leaves there and goes to google and starts fucking stadia and now he's leaving a wake of destruction in his path pretty much man and people are paying i want to be him man pay me 20 million dollars a year to ruin your company makes no sense but guy keeps getting work i don't know so anyways shout out to phil spencer for (laughs) not being that person at all 
Yeah, Bill Spencer's <laughs> definitely not that guy from all like accounts I've ever heard. I've never met the dude, but he seems really cool. I'm uh, really intrigued by this nomenclature of quadruple A. I know. The audacity yeah. to come up with something like that boggles the mind, but it's also very enticing. And if I was a younger man, I might fall into the trap of believing the hype. Yeah. But wouldn't you just be disappointed if they were like, our new quadruple A studio is working on our new perfect dark? Like, I, I mean, know. if they get the game feel right and the story's like a 10 out of 10 home run. Yeah. And it's just You're right. the dankest, most satisfying shooter of all time, maybe. But again, yeah, I think it is a, a little bit of the... Bah, 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 bah. Yeah. It falls flat, I think. Yeah. But uh, things we might see, I don't know. You pulled this from Eric Van Allen over at US Gamer. And there, it's been reported that several companies are eyeing Warner Brothers Interactive, which would give them control of... DC, so the Batman games, and any other DC property they wanted to make into a game, which you would imagine would be quite a few. Um, I don't know. I think it's worth a lot of money. I want to say it was reported at like $4 billion or something like that. Does that sound right Holy to you? Holy cow. That could be wrong, but it's a subsidiary of AT&T, so... I don't know. It would also give them control over the Harry Potter game and any subsequent Harry Potter games, which after we talked about last week, like uh, I'm not sure that's a good or a bad thing, but I don't know. Mortal Kombat, which has been huge lately. Yeah. I don't know. Gosh. Four billion dollars. Yeah. I, but talk about, a set of studios that is like of the caliber that makes Xbox feel like it has a pre-built stable of like rock star wrong word choice. They're already a game studio, but just like <laughs> top top tier properties that could be exclusive to the Xbox and PC. Yeah, for sure. And we've had great Batman games and stuff, but I don't know if you could ever, and I'm going to double check and see if I could, uh validate that value that i just spat out but i swear i heard that somewhere but yeah i i, I opened like a link i opened a link into a story by mike williams at us gamer uh that refers to that four billion dollar value from cnbc's yeah. sources uh it was so, a report when they were first uh kind of rumoring around that at&t is looking to sell that warner bros interactive entertainment my curious thing is do the Warner Bros. IP go with it, or do they no longer have access to DC and to Harry Potter and to Lord of the Rings as soon as AT&T sells off these game studios? Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't know how any of that would work. I believe when you get control of the Warner Brothers Interactive property, you have control of those properties from an interactive standpoint not from like a i think it's different i think that the warner brothers interactive and warner brothers like the movie studio they have control over the same properties but they're different parts of the company 
the, that makes sense. Yeah, to use a term from my economics of law class from eight years ago, um, the rights are bundled, I think. And so maybe they're able to parcel out the rights to do the games. Maybe they have a, you know, maybe it reverts to like, you have this contract for X amount of time, uh, kind of maybe the way that Sony gets Spider-Man as an example. Yeah. Well, and I'm glad you said that because to put this $4 billion into perspective, yes, you get, like you said, Mortal Kombat, you get uh, Harry Potter, Batman, any DC you want, the thing you want to make, great. It costs you $4 billion. Uh, Sony last year spent, or was that earlier this year? They, anyway, they spent, time is meaningless now, John. It doesn't exactly, matter. <laughs> exactly. Every day is January 1st of XXXX year. Um, Amazing. Anyway, Sony spent $229 million to acquire Insomniac, the developers of Ratchet and Clank, Spider Man, uh, Resistance. What other games have they? I mean, I'm, I know I'm missing plenty, but that Sunset Overdrive wasn't that done. Yeah, yeah. In other words, fantastic games that people love and will probably make them tons of money, more than 229 million dollars to be sure. Uh, that's kind of what you have as a comparison, I think. So the four billion dollars, not that that's what they would pay, but seems like a large ask, I think. Yeah, it's. I think what you end up with is a, a stable of studios in a way that, you know, the folks at NetherRealm work on a new Mortal Kombat for you while Rocksteady does whatever they're rumored to be doing. I think it's the Suicide Squad game. And you get more of a variety of things at once. But the other thing to know is Insomniac is a huge studio that's always working on like multiple, multiple projects at a time. Yeah. And they've also dabbled in VR. So yes. you could have them de developing a VR game while they're working on Miles Morales and Ratchet and Clank and whatever else. So uh, I don't know. It definitely does. The apples to apples comparison does not look good no. for Warner Bros. Interactive costing no. $4 billion. No, it's like a Granny Smith apple versus like a platinum apple that costs more money i don't know that's not the best analogy i've ever made but you get what i'm saying it's like it's a granny expensive. smith apple and apple computers yeah it, see that's way better you do analogies from now on you're the well, analogy guy on the podcast now you set me up and i had plenty of time to think about it so <laughs> right on uh let's see here we've got one more thing this is like good news i think chris put this on there for my benefit i think because we were talking about donkey kong but uh nintendo on their nintendo switch online super nintendo Inter entertainment system yes that's what it's called uh there's announced yesterday that starting on july 15th we'll be getting a few more games something called natsume championship wrestling who knows what the fuck that is? NES, The Immortal, which I've never heard of that. Chris, had you heard of that? No, I'm not familiar with that or Natsume Championship Wrestling, other than I think Natsume is the company that makes Harvest Moon. Oh, 
Gotcha. When I read Natsume, I was like, oh, let's be some type of Japanese wrestling I've never heard of before. That's it could be both. I don't know anything about <laughs> Japanese wrestling. Well, neither of us are cultured. How about that? <laughs> uh, uh and then, drumroll please, the big game coming out is Donkey Kong Country, man. I gave you your drumroll. And talk about serendipitous after we talked about it last week. Yeah, and that's fucking fantastic, man. I can't wait to play that. Um, and then, as usual, you know how you get nostalgic and then it bites you in the ass? And you're like, this isn't cool. This is lame. Uh, I'm really hoping that it doesn't do that, but I'm still going to it for sure yeah i'm excited to hear you report back with how it holds up for you yeah i'll do that next week maybe if we record maybe i can play it before we record next week i don't know uh but are, are you an online member on nintendo switch i am i needed to do it so that i could partake in smash bros online and mario kart 8 online and now pokemon and animal crossing uh, for 20 bucks a year and access yeah. to all of the Super Nintendo games and NES games. I mean, yeah. obviously it's not all of them, but the all amount is like care about. Boggling. Well, now all the ones yeah. you care about once they put Donkey Kong on there now. I wouldn't be mad if they had a Final Fantasy VI release or Chrono Trigger release, since seemingly when we talk about game series that we love on the podcast, it somehow yeah. magically puts them onto my Nintendo Switch. Um, yeah. I'm going to keep doing this until it happens now. But hey, it uh, for me, I did it a couple, I can't remember, a couple, oh, the Star Wars. I went on a rant with Gabe. Rest in peace, Gabe, if you're out there. Uh about star wars and how i wanted all the star wars games bad games good games i don't give a shit just give me star wars games and now we're getting two star wars games within one calendar year that's awesome yeah look at that yeah just keep spouting off about nonsense and you'll get your wishes apparently we have some sort of genie haunting the podcast that grants lame gamer wishes <laughs> yeah exactly exactly uh yeah man i because i never played Link's awakening or no i'm not Link. i played Link's awakening on the remake but what's the one link to the past i've never played that so i started it on the switch online it's so cool man i i love it you the pause feature for fast forward or like you can rewind and shit so cool. yeah it's so great and just being able to do like save states in those older games yeah. that are frankly quite challenging makes it so easy to pick up and play which is perfect for being on a portable system i think it's awesome dude i played link to the past months ago right and i was right at the beginning so i pulled it back up totally thinking i would have to restart and i didn't really care because i was only a few minutes in anyway it was exactly where i was that's I wild save or anything i just like quit the snes part of my online thing and when i went back it was right there so crazy the dream yeah where the dream has become a reality dude speaking uh, of dreams we have a mostly normal question that's somewhat yeah. dream related real quick i wanted to say uh i'm just seeing now on ign that Den deadly premonition 2 is out and it is not reviewing well 
it seems. I don't know if any of y'all out there were stoked for that. I never played the first one, so I can't really say. But as of right now, it's at a 56 on Metacritic. So See, wham, this wham. is... This is fascinating to me because I remember when Deadly Premonition 1 came out as an avid podcast listener for my almost entire life. (laughs) That game also got just decimated for having really poor performance, I feel like, and being clunky and having really weird robotic performances, if I'm remembering correctly. But people felt like there was some sort of weird alchemy to it, reminiscent of... I don't know, cult films and things like that, that drew them in. So I'm wondering if this Deadly Premonition 2 will have the same luck. Yeah, maybe it's like a cult flick, man. It can review poorly, but still sell well or people love it. I don't know. But But yeah, you hate to see the the consistent review headlines I think I was seeing pop up are, it just performs so badly. Yeah, I remember hearing that, but I don't know. Anyway, like as you alluded to, the mostly normal question for this week, what are your three biggest fears? We're going to play it this way. You're going to name one. I'm going to name one. You're going to name one. I'm going to name one. Ready? Okay. Go. Heights. Heights. Uh, I'm afraid of getting eaten by sharks. Not like all the time, but when I think of terrible ways to die, that's one of them. That does sound terrible. Yeah. I'm irrationally afraid of birds because I threw a rock at a bird when I was about 10 and then it chased me all the way back to my parents' house and attacked it. I thought it was trying to attack me in the garage. It didn't. It might have been. What kind but of bird I think, was it? Do you know? I, I don't remember, but I still have like this lingering fear of birds. It's very irrational and stupid. <laughs> my wife has the same thing. And there's no explanation. At least you have an explanation for it. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm not fully claustrophobic, but the idea of being like in an enclosed area, like a coffin or something, like and not being able to get out, that kind of terrifies me. Or being in a like when you're playing a game, right, and you're clo- you're crawling through like a pipe, and there's ground above you that could crash down and trap you that terrifies me (laughs) you've now given me that fear too holy cow um i think the other fear it's going to get too real but i'm a little bit of i have a deep fear of failure so it keeps me from trying new things because i don't like doing a bad job but sorry if i got a little bit too real there yeah um well since we're ending on a realistic note and that's that's not a bad fear, man, because it drives you. You know what I mean? If you're afraid of failing, then you're going to try your best pretty much all the time. As opposed to if you just didn't give a shit, then what would you do? You know what I mean? That's a good point. I like that perspective on it. Um, Helps reframe it. Yeah. Uh, my biggest fear now that I'm a parent is anything ever. And I work with oncology patients all day. Like, so pediatric oncology patients all day, like, that's my job, is Mm -hmm. seeing three-year-old kids with cancer. Oh, Um, my gosh. Like, my biggest fear is anything ever happening to my son, like, in a, anything, like, anything bad. I mean, the kid, like, he's, right now, he's, he has, like, cellulitis on his eye, which is uh, 
skin infection, basically. So we have to give him two oral antibiotics. And doing that, I hate doing that. Like, you just feel so horrible. So I can't even imagine if he had something that was actually a big deal and how horrible that would be. But knock on wood, that'll never happen during my lifetime. Yeah, I, I, my heart goes out to you. I can't imagine what being a father is like and, like, constantly having that desire to protect your child. So yeah. that makes a lot of sense. It's mostly a good time, man. The other day, I probably didn't tell you this, man. He's We're just sitting at the... We don't really eat at a table. It's more of like a counter, our kitchen counter, you know? Yeah. And three is the best age ever, by the way. I just realized this, like, two days into my son being three. I'm laying in bed, first of all, and he's walking out the door. And I'm like, hey, dude, can you grab my phone for me? Sure. He goes and grabs my phone and brings it over. And then he walks out the door and I'm like, hey, guy, can you come back and turn the light off? And he comes back and he turns the light off. He's like, this light? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, okay. And I'm like, thanks, bye. I, that's the best, man. That's amazing. You have a little human to help you out now. But get this shit. Next day, I'm at the kitchen counter with my wife and she's talking to me like, just talking to me, not like nagging or anything just talking to me and apropos of nothing that we're talking about my son just stopped and he goes mommy stop bossing daddy around oh my gosh like oh shit he told you that's (laughs) just cracked up laughing man it was so awesome but yeah like i said it's not all hard parenthood isn't all you know full of fears it's mostly good times Mostly joy and then occasional fear. Occasional fear. Occasional irrational fear. <laughs> anyway, let us know what your three biggest fears are. Tweet at us. Write in to podcast at mostlynormalgamers.com. Tweet at us at mngamerspodcast.com. Uh, you can tweet at me with your biggest for- fears or any other thoughts that creep through your brain at johnny samsonite on the twitterverse chris how about you man you can find my video game retweeting and hopefully soon actual thoughts at vg occasion <laughs> that's at vg o-c-c-a-s-i-o-n nice. uh, yeah i don't know if you've been on twitter recently man but it's not the place for original thought it's just retweeting things and posting stuff you heard i'm pretty sure so it is a nightmare hellscape out there on the, on the Twitter feed. I was just looking at my Twitter for like a short period yesterday and I was like, God, this sucks. Turn it off. So, it sucks. Yeah. And yet, where would we be without it? Yeah. Well, agreed. Cer- certainly not recording this episode of this podcast together. True statement. True yep. statement. So awesome. Uh, yeah. Well, we'll catch the rest of y'all listening out there next week. Hopefully, AJ will be back with us. And with that being said, we'll catch you later. Bye. Bye, everyone.